but we know that we're going to get a ban. It's not a case of if, but when. Compassionate people are our kind of people. So join us as we explore what it means to live with kindness. Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to Animal Aid's podcast, Conversations on Compassion. I'm your host Jade and today I am actually here solo as Erin and Fleur can make it and this is a little impromptu episode as we have two very important, exciting campaign updates to tell you about. So I will be joined by two of our other colleagues at Animal Aid, our director Ian Green, who is going to update us on the snares debate which took place um, earlier this week or probably last week by the time you're listening to this Um, and also our animal experiments campaigns manager Daisy who is going to be telling us all about her new resource that has just been launched called Universities Challenged and it's all about helping students make informed decisions about the uni they go to and the animal experiments that are conducted at that university. So first I'm going to be speaking to Ian about the SNERS debate which took place in Parliament and this was in response to Animalay's petition to ban the use of SNERS which if you don't know it's a very archaic cruel trap that is currently legal for use in the United Kingdom. So let's get Ian on the line. So I'm now here with our director, Ian Green, who is going to update us on the snares debate, which took place at the start of January. So last year we had a petition to ban snares and luckily we reached enough signatures for it to be debated in Parliament. So Ian, please uh, update us. How did the debate go? So, yes, the debate happened on Monday evening. Uh, It was the second of two petition debates and it's a chance for MPs to support or oppose our petition. Uh, The debate went really well. We had uh, two MPs who were perhaps predictably going to um, oppose it and give a bit of a smokescreen about information. But we had cross-party uh, MPs, so so MPs from all parties supporting it and speaking very passionately for a ban on snares. That's amazing. So what would be the next stage now after this debate? Kind of, is there an outcome? Kind of, is there a winner or a loser? Or how does it work? Yeah, so that's... That's the difficult thing. So this, the debate after a petition is really a chance for MPs to air their views. There is no vote afterwards. There's nothing definitive. The only thing that happens at the end of it is that the government minister is expected to give a a response. And and Trudy Harrison was there and she gave a response, but it was a response that didn't really give much information at all. Um, So Wales the Welsh government are already have already introduced legislation to ban snares, so that's it's like a real beacon. Um, and so the 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 Defra minister was going to look and see how what Wales were doing and talk to her colleagues in Wales and just assess what they were doing. But it was very much a a, a non-committal answer. So we have, since the debate, we've written to the Defra Minister asking for an urgent meeting with her so that we can um, talk to her about the next steps. There's massive support in the in Parliament for a ban, and obviously there's a massive support in, in the public. We know that probably three quarters of the population would like to see a ban on the sale and use of snares. So we've written to the Minister to request an urgent meeting. And we hope that we'll get an answer to that within the next few days. 
That's incredible. So hopefully by the end of the year, we could see some legislation implemented in England as well. So yeah, I think I think we'll see legislation in Wales and we may, may see legislation in Scotland. I think England is going to take a bit longer. Poli- just, yes, legislation takes a lot longer. It's very frustrating. But the really important thing is to keep up pressure. Writing to your MP saying you saw the debate, asking what's going to happen next to bring about a ban of snares is going to be a really positive, really helpful thing that people can do. Um, we need to keep the pressure up. Obviously, this was one stage. It would be great if it was a if it was conclusive on Monday, but obviously this is just one stage, but we know that we're going to get a ban. It's not a case of if, but when. Absolutely. So I was my next kind of question was going to be what can listeners um, and watchers of this podcast do to help? Is that the biggest thing they can do? Write to their MPs? Um, yeah, I think just, a, you know, a short letter to their MPs saying that they'd seen the debate and asking asking what was going to happen next to bring out a ban. And that's what they wanted to happen. Um, but also keep follow Adam Lade's news, um, check online and, and on our social media, because we hopefully will be able to update people once we've heard from the minister and also updates about what's happening in Wales and in Scotland. Um, you know, this is this is a camp. We're not going to let this drop. We're going to continue pushing until snares are banned. Absolutely. So um, if anyone needs any help with the wording, I know we definitely had a template letter previously that people could use. Um, Is that still available on our website? Yes. I mean, I I think I mean, I think even if you went to our news pages of our website, you'd see um, um, a newspaper news piece that relates to the debate and it'll probably give you a bit of information in there. But I think really just a a, a short letter that says you saw the debate, what's happening next um, because you want to ban. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I do have a snare. Oh, oh it's probably not very easy. But when we talk about snares, yeah, often people might not know what they look like. But this is a it's a very thin wire, and it's set oh. like that. And obviously, you can probably see how that would cut into the animals and how horrific that would be. Imagine a badger caught in that for twenty four hours. The yeah. damage that it could do to itself. They really are horrific devices. They are medieval. I think we've um, we've posted a few videos before just saying, do you know what this is? And I, yeah, I didn't know, to be honest, before working at Animal Aid, I'm quite involved in animal rights, a vegan, and I didn't know what snares were or that they were used and that they were legal to be used. It's quite, it's quite a horrifying practice, really. Um, it is, and it's shocking that, you know, they catch 1.7 million animals. This, these are not, this is not a small number of animals caught in traps in the countryside. This is this a, that's a lot of animals um, and that's a lot of suffering. So that's why this is so important. Yeah. And you mentioned previously about um, being stuck for 24 hours. So am I right in saying that's the like kind of legal limit of the time that you have to check the snares? But obviously, how is that managed? How is that enforced? It could be much longer. Yeah. How, how is that enforced? Yes, exactly. Yeah. There's talk of introducing codes of practice and better regulations. But how is any of that enforced? Um, but yes, a, a snare is supposed to be checked every 24 hours. But yeah. of course, if you're an animal gets caught in it, like a rabbit, you're open, you're you're trapped. And if a predator comes along, you're essentially um, restrained in a trap at the defenseless to that predator. Um, and in the hot summer, cold winter, yes, it's or if you if you're uh, maybe um, a, a mother with young somewhere nearby, you can't get back to them. The suffering just is, is yeah, is is. 
sadly, having seen the films, the, the suffering is imaginable. I was going to say it was unimaginable, but having seen, uh, as yeah, as I know you have, Jade, but having yeah, seen some of the films, it's pretty ho- horrible. Absolutely. And I think um, not that any suffering is more or less just spending on the species, but I think people will be shocked to know that a lot of domesticated animals like pets get caught in them as well, um, particularly yeah, yeah. cats, because often cats are just free roaming and you know, they, they don't discriminate these traps. They can trap any kind of animal, not even what is referred to in the industry as the target species of who the kind of landowners are trying to trap. It can track any animal. Yeah, there's um, uh, when when um, trap users were surveyed, one in three of them admitted that when they'd set traps for rabbits, they had caught a cat. Wow. And that's one in three had admitted that. Mm. Um, and as you say, it, it's it, it's not saying one species is, is is better or worse or lesser than another, but it just shows how indiscriminate these traps are um, and how archaic these traps are. Absolutely. So like you said earlier, the best thing we can all do now is to keep the pressure on to um, your local MPs. So please write to them, contact them, whatever you can do. And as you said as well, follow Animal Aid's news. You can sign up to our e-news. We'll have a link in the description of this podcast um, if you want to stay updated on what we're doing and how you can get involved. So I think also we should definitely say a huge thank you to everyone who signed the petition because you helped (laughs) us get here. And that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. 102,000 people. Yeah, every single one of you, thank you so much for signing the petition, because that's what makes this campaign takes it along to the next stage. We couldn't do it without your support. Definitely. So I think often people will kind of will get some really lovely emails saying, I wish I could do more, but I can't afford to like give at the moment, especially in the cost of living crisis, we understand. But there's so many ways you can support us and non-financial yeah. ways that make a huge impact. So yeah, thank absolutely. You so yes. Oh, thank you so much, Ian. Is there anything you'd like to say before we no, go? Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you. So the second exciting campaign update we have is our Universities Challenge resource that has been launched this week. So I have with me here Daisy, who is Animal Aid's Animal Testing Campaign Manager. And can you tell us all about it, please? Yes. So our new campaign, Universities Challenged, is a resource for students who are either looking to attend a university or they may even already be at a university. So essentially, we're going to be showing students which universities do and which do not conduct animal experiments. Um, It will help students who are searching for a uni find one that doesn't. But we're also going to be supporting students who currently study at universities that do conduct animal research and helping to support them ask questions of the university so that because a lot of students, as we know, obviously, with the cost of living, everyone's paying a lot of money and they don't want their tuition fees funding this animal research quite a lot of the time. So it's kind of a mixture of those elements. But yeah, so it can be accessed universitieschallenge.org.uk. Amazing. So the resource is primarily a website. Is that right? Yeah, so we've got over 120 universities on a list. Um, So users can filter by those that do and do not. You can search for specific unis and each university on the list has a dedicated page which goes into a bit more information. So we've got universities on the list who don't conduct animal testing because of ethical reasons. We've got some that don't actually really um, offer science courses so they obviously don't have animal houses for that reason and then of course we've got the ones that do conduct animal research and we've got 
figures and facts about what goes on there. We've reached out using Freedom of Information Act requests to find out the information. So essentially, we'll be able to share all of that on the website and users can just access which bits of it are relevant to them. That's amazing. I feel like that's something I would have loved when I was at uni because I didn't study a science-based subject. But I think this is a common misconception that you don't even think that that's going to happen at a uni. And if you're not doing science, you don't know that like your fees could be going into kind of funding a uni that does some of the kind of cruelest tests that you can imagine on animals. Definitely. We've actually had a lot of feedback already from people. And the, the campaign actually only launched yesterday. We've already had loads of feedback, which is really exciting because we've actually had a lot of testimonials from people who have experienced exactly what you've just described. So it might be that they had previously studied at a university, a non-science subject. They didn't know what was going on there, but they're saying they wish they had quite like how you mm. just said they wish they'd had this resource so we're hoping it will help kind of even ex-students who have already yeah. finished their studies because they've got that kind of link to the uni they still are entitled to ask questions of that uni and obviously current yeah. students and as you say non-science students who might say I'm studying history at this university and I didn't realize but actually down on an, another section of my campus you're killing animals. And so it's really, I guess, the main kind of focus of the whole campaign is transparency. Mm. It's about kind of bridging the gap between the hidden world of animal experiments that happen. And over half of all animal experiments in Britain are conducted at universities. So that's yeah. an interesting statistic that a lot of people don't really realise that we've got over 50% of all animal experiments in Britain happening at unis but actually at universities there are no there's no law to say they need to be conducted this gets a bit complex mm, so i'm sorry if yeah. this gets a little bit confusing but there's a thing called basic research which the majority of university experiments are conducted for basic research that's okay. curiosity driven purely curiosity driven there's no legal requirement it's just a researcher saying what might happen if i do this wow and again, I think people assume, some people assume that animal research only happens when it has to or if it's yeah. illegal, you know, and this is yet again more proof that that isn't the case. So again, it's all about transparency and giving yeah. students, activists and residents that live in a local, you know, in the, in the vicinity of a uni, yeah. the ability to question what's actually going on. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think um, hopefully listeners will remember as well, we did our um, big project with Accelerate last year, which is still going on, but that was funding alternatives to animal research. And through that, I learned, and I think a lot of people learned along with us, that it's actually a lot more accurate often the non-animal tests, because the way something like a, a mouse might react to something like a certain chemical whatever it is that is not at all indicative of how an entirely different species like a human is going to react to a certain chemical or procedure whatever it is absolutely and i think that's also the the problem that we've got with universities kind of they're setting out students are setting out a university to train for their future career and, and a scientist who wants to learn a subject at university universities are essentially letting these students down because they're not preparing them for the real world the future of science is going to be human relevant non-animal research so universities have an obligation to be like training students in these new non-animal methods and not relying on an outdated bad science 
Amazing. Couldn't have said that better. That's <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> so if I was a student who was planning to go to a certain university or looking at prospective universities and I want to study science, but I know I don't want to test on animals, how can universities challenge support me? What what does it kind of offer? So what we're going to be doing, so we've got, for example, you know, if we have an example of a student that's already on a course, they're in, going into their second year, but they have this ethical dilemma that they either they aren't going to conduct animal experiments themselves, but they know it's happening. So we're going to be a support network, essentially, for those students. We, we're inviting them to get in touch with us so that we can provide guidance. We can help them arrange meetings with the relevant people at the universities. We can provide template emails for them to send and essentially just kind of give them the confidence because I was very fortunate when I was studying science at university that I was kind of I guess confident is maybe the right word where I felt confident to say I don't want to do this or I don't want to do this but a lot of students feel that if they say no that that's going to affect their grade or their outcome of their course so we want to kind of empower students who want to study science to be able to still stand up for what they believe in and kind of hold the universities accountable rather than students feeling like they just have to go along with it because it's going to be at their detriment if they don't. Yeah, I think that's super powerful because I, I remember even at school, I must have been like year eight or something. And um, they like we walked into science class and there was loads of pig trotters and um, they were like, are we going to be dissecting them today? And um, I was a vegetarian at that stage and I was just kind of horrified and I was like, I don't want to participate, but I wasn't allowed to leave the room. So I had to just and I mean, I guess I could have walked out, but I didn't. Yeah, like you said, I didn't feel empowered or didn't know if I was allowed. And I remember sitting under the desk because I didn't want to like look at it. And yeah, it was it was a really odd feeling to just think like, you know, almost assume that this is mandatory. And I'm sure a lot of university students experience that as well, that, yeah. oh, I just I don't want to do this, but I have to. Yeah, I mean, we um I don't know. I'm sure the listeners may know this, but we had our Future of Science conference, which was yes. last October. And we were speaking to a lot of A-level students at that event um who kind of said similar things you know like they just didn't know where they stood and they were studying a levels at this point obviously they're going on to do universities in the future but they exact they said exactly what you were just saying it's kind of like they didn't really know the boundary of like I don't feel comfortable but I don't know how this is going to fit me can I just leave I'm sure I can but I feel a bit uncomfortable but often that just comes from that confidence of, for, for universities challenge for example of just having someone beside you almost you know we might not yeah. physically be there but we but they know that we're there supporting them they know that we're there kind of saying to them it's okay you can stand up for what you believe in and ultimately it's that kind of beautiful bit is that you've got better ethical standards and then better science at the end of it so it's kind of a win-win but it's just giving the confidence in like instilling that in students to feel capable to do that on their own as well <laughs> definitely I think that's so cool and so if a student's looking at um going to uni and they kind of don't know where to pick because I think you know ethical issues aside that's already quite an overwhelming choice but they could just go onto the university's challenged website and they could search up any unis they're interested in and just as a starting point see if they conduct animal experiments and then kind of help that inform their decision. Absolutely and I mean for example because on our kind of um, we've got one page which is a map of the UK of Great Britain and we've got kind of say for example somebody knows they want to study in Scotland 
um, they can just literally look at the map and see the yeses and the noes, their little icons, so the yeses oh, and the noes are like there to be seen. They can then filter it by that. So as you say, they can kind of go on there. If they're on the fence about where they want to go, it might just help them to kind of um, decide amongst a certain number of unis or a certain area. Um, of course, there is the kind of dilemma where it comes to a lot of the bigger universities that are um, say more specialised in science subjects, let's say, or STEM um, or Russell Group universities, which are often seen if you're a science student as the ones to go for. Um, unfortunately, they are usually the larger users of animals. Now, that's a, obviously a big dilemma because it means that if you're a science student and you've got very, you know, you've set these goals yourself and you say, I really want to go to a Russell Group University, for example, um, it's going to be difficult to find a university that do, doesn't conduct animal experiments. So with that in mind, that's where that kind of other element comes in, that we want to help people to be able to say, before I come to your university, I want you to be able to tell me how I won't be kind of part of this. I don't yeah. want my tuition fees to pay for this. And maybe even putting that pressure on universities to realise that these are consumers. Students are consumers. They they are kind of deciding things with their money. So if a university is getting enough students saying, I was going to come to you. I really want to come to you because of your standards of you know, teaching, let's say. Yeah. But I don't agree with the research that you're conducting. Then it's kind of like giving them the power to that the university then has to be held accountable. We've had some really interesting things happen where, um, you know, for example, universities, because they haven't been held to account too much, we found that, you know, um, even recently a university had um I don't want to get too complex here so do no, like I, like obviously feel free to like tell me if I'm getting a bit too into it but and so there's a thing called the Concordat on openness it's a declaration I guess is an easy way to describe it and about 50 or so universities have have signed this essentially that means they've agreed to be open about animal research they conduct okay. um so if they're on this list essentially that means that they are going to be open they're going to Give, they're going to be forthcoming with information. But we're finding that a, a few universities that are on this, you know, they're signed up to this, aren't being very forthcoming. And we've had to kind of chase them for information. Um, some of them have hidden information that was once accessible that seems to have disappeared. We've then got in touch with them and made that available again just because we were the only ones to have noticed it. So I feel like I've kind of gone off tangent from your question no, there no. a little bit. <laughs> Keep going. Every podcast we go off on long tangents. <laughs> but I, I mean, I just find this all really fascinating. I think it's a really cool thing to be a part of. Like you in particular should be so proud. Like it's amazing that you've put this out. It's such a cool resource. Um so yeah, well done to you and everyone else at Animal Aid. Yeah, I mean, we're all doing amazing things here. So I think that's it's such an amazing thing that we've launched this, everything else yeah. that we're doing, you know, it's all very positive. But thank you very much. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so just another kind of a bit of a side question, but just on the topic of testing in universities, because like you said, I don't think most people are aware that 50% of animal experiments are conducted are conducted <laughs> are conducted on university campuses so what kind of animals can be used in those experiments well that's a so it's so broad um so you know it can be I mean, the majority are 
mice and rats. A lot of mice actually are genetically modified mice as well, which is a really interesting thing. It's got its own ethical concerns with that. But, you know, we've found in in these kind of looking into these universities that animals like llamas are being used. Um, I'm trying to think of the ones that maybe might be less expected. Um, There's actually a lot of what what are considered, I guess, farm animals they're Mm -hmm. often used. Um, An interesting thing is that um, mini pigs, um, are becoming more and more frequently used especially at certain universities um and so it's quite an it's quite a broad mix it's you know it's your the ones that people may expect mice rats rabbits guinea pigs all the way up to larger animals that you kind of like I say llamas which I think it can be quite unexpected for people yeah. they don't really think oh like I didn't expect that especially at a university maybe but um yeah I mean and again actually all this information so for example um if somebody wanted to go to a certain university and they go on the website onto that university's profile page, they can um, access the number of animals that that have been used there, for example. Um, And actually we've linked to statistics released by a lot of these universities, or we've linked our Freedom of Information Act like request replies. So that, that, so a lot of this is on this, so, which I think should be quite helpful again for people who really want to get like to the nitty gritty of which university is doing which experiment you know macaques another one like macaques are being used so there's there's quite a lot of um variety of animals so again we need to be speaking about this and and bringing it out into the light a bit more because I think the number of animals that are suffering it's just shocking how hidden it still is oh 100 percent. I mean it's not something I even really considered or thought could be happening at my uni when I went there like it's not something I would have thought about so I think even just putting the campaign out from an awareness point of view so people are like oh my goodness like I didn't even think of this let me check let me talk to my uni yeah Um, exactly you know and we want people who are using our website to actually kind of even say to us oh we'd like more information on this or I'm particularly interested in this I'd like to know more about this species if there's more so that's something that again we'd I'd actually like anyone who's listening if they look at their resource and they think actually I'd like to know about this or could you give me you know more clarity on this do feel free to like get in touch because we want to make it as formidable a resource as possible so yeah do feel free anyone listening to get in touch and (laughs) let us know if there's anything you want added to the resource amazing and so just as a reminder what is the web address we'll link it in the bio as well so that people can just click on it so it's universitieschallenge.org.uk okay amazing so thank you so much daisy this has been incredible and i'm sure we'll have daisy joining us again to talk about other aspects of your job and animal testing yeah thanks for joining us thank you for having me So thank you all so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it and found it really interesting. I know I learned a lot and all the links that we mentioned to the Universities Challenge website and to info on snares will all be linked in our description. As always, we love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at socialanimalaid.org.uk or on any of our social media channels. Thanks so much for listening and I will see you very soon back with my co-host for the History of Animal Aid episode, which we've really been looking forward to sharing with you. Thanks so much for listening. Bye! As always, thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoyed the show. We love to hear from our listeners, so be sure to get in touch on social media with any burning questions. Find us on Insta and TikTok at AnimalAid underscore UK and we're on Twitter at AnimalAid. You can also email social at AnimalAid.org.uk. 
Bye. Bye.